Welcome back to season two of Activista Rise Up. Your support last fall was tremendous, and we decided to continue these conversations with leaders working every day to advance economic justice for our communities. Now, Activista Rise Up is officially on Spotify and other podcast platforms, so you can listen on the go. I am Dr. Patricia Campos Medina, host of Activista Rise Up. I started these conversations because uh, during the last four years, many of us felt hopeless and felt concerned about where our country was going and whether we could make a difference. A lot has happened since last year. We, we changed presidents, we defended our democracy, we have changed the narrative of what's possible in this country and we did it from the ground up. Activists who have fought for their survival of their communities rose to the occasion and made a demand that in the United States, the promise of equality and justice is a promise that we have to work for and build every day. Today, I have a special guest, a fierce young woman who I had the pleasure to meet when she was um, an activist here in New Jersey fighting for the rights of undocumented youth. She is a DACA recipient, but she's more, more than that. She is a leader, a social influencer, a change maker, and a storyteller. Sarah Mora. Sarah, I am so excited to have you join us. Hi, Patricia. I'm so excited to be here on your special show. It's such a, you know, I see you and all that you're doing and how you stepped into your own story. And I felt like we need more young people to hear you and older people too, to realize that there's so much that we can do just by telling um, our own story about how we went, you know, how, what we have to come through. So why don't you tell um, our listeners a little bit about yourself? I, yeah. you know, you're from New Jersey. I met you in New Jersey when we were, mm -hmm. when we were doing all the activism, but mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about yourself. Uh, yeah. why, when people meet you, how do you introduce yourself? Yeah, I think now I'm more comfortable saying that I'm not just one thing, right? I'm comfortable sharing that I'm a digital strategist, but that I'm also an influencer, that I'm a poet, and that my passion for storytelling and human rights um, is at the intersection of knowing that creativity is how a lot of people in history have disrupted systems in place. Um, but I was born in Costa Rica and I grew up in Hillside, New Jersey. And in my high school, I was part of a lot of programs that focused on student development for students that had lower grades. And I actually met you um, through a lot of women empowerment events. And I'm so excited to be reconnecting again because there's so much power in community and in mujeres coming together to empower each other about the initiatives they stand for. Um, I started when I was 14 years old and I didn't realize it was activism nor that I was a leader because of of it. But after I graduated high school, I interviewed the president of Costa Rica in Elizabeth, New Jersey. And after talking to him, you know, to my shock, he didn't know what DACA was. Um, and it built 
so much courage in me, but also opened so many literal doors to the administration of his office. And I began to work directly with the administration of a president, which was huge, oh, right? Yeah. Um, and then I began community college and took on leadership roles in community college that related to migrant rights and bringing workshops that uh, had resources to community college. Um, and I was able to build, oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. I wanted just to say that, um, you know, you're from Costa Rica, but mm -hmm. you were born there. You no, know, like I always say, I was born in El Salvador, but I'm mm -hmm. American now because mm -hmm. I've been here most of my life. Um, mm -hmm. I love El Salvador, but I, you know, I, I consider myself yeah. American now. So when I met you, um, I was like, oh, you know, another Central American woman. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and, and to me, it's important to sort of tell that connection because. Exactly. You know, because it's a different experience in many ways for, um, you know, for us as Central American migration. Mm -hmm. yeah. it's, it's, you know, it's so different. So I, when I remember that interview with the president mm -hmm. of Costa Rica and how mm -hmm. you were, you know, there is a perception that the problems of, of people in the, what they call the triangle, right? El Salvador mm -hmm. and Guatemala and Honduras are different than the problems of people yeah. in Costa Rica. But yeah. Central, we're all the same. We're all strange. Yeah for the same reasons. Yeah, no, and I think it's abs it absolutely is different where like, I feel like uh, Costa Rica has the role of like a hundred different things compared to the rest of the countries. But I do think we do have that, that knit in history. And um, I don't know, the culture is also so similar in many ways, but I am proud to, to say that we are Central American and to work to try to really connect the dots between other people that are from Central America that are leaders um, in the East Coast. Because I, when I went to the West Coast, there was such a big community of Central Americans, yeah. right? Already yeah. gathered and that were super just connected about the work yeah. that they did. So that's definitely exciting. Yeah, there has been a history of family separation for a mm -hmm. lot of Central Americans. Absolutely. And um, and I always, always feel like elevating the story of young people who are, have been able to uh, walk through that mm -hmm. and rise up and, and rebuild their families and rebuild their identity, I think it's helpful to begin to heal some of the mental, some of the emotional trauma of the migration and the family separation mm -hmm. that is so real to our communities. I agree so much. I think there's so much work to be done and definitely, I mean, that would be a start, right? I have so many friends that are from, that migrated for like extreme, like serious, extremely serious reasons. And I think um, compared to my parents' story, I think a lot about the fact that if we wanted to, though we would experience poverty, we could go back to Costa Rica. But a lot of my friends that are from different countries in Central America, like they don't feel comfortable doing that, right? And they don't feel like it's as simple. Um, but I do think health is something that I look, to talk about all the time because um, while it's possible, um, it should be something that that yeah. should be addressed. It's definitely a privilege to look for your health, but yeah. Yeah, the emotional, I always bring the emotional trauma because I mm -hmm. think that it's connected to how we engage um, in our purpose, right? Mm -hmm. So some, some folks are able to use the trauma to uh, to find purpose and some, and unfortunately some people fall into other areas and that they're not as 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 as, as self-serving in many ways so but i wanted to um because that trauma 
you know, for somebody like you who grew up, who grew up as an undocumented, but perhaps didn't know it. When did you know you were undocumented and how? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was really after high school, after high school, when I, um, was thinking about financial aid. I didn't think about financial aid in college because I had horrible grades and because I, I didn't have the, 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 the set of support, I guess you could say that would lead me to college. It just led me through my day to day. Right. Like I was part of a church. I was a youth leader at a church and my parents and me were very active with the community, but they didn't know about college. And my, my church didn't have the capacity to sit there and train you, give you workshops about college prep. So Though I met many amazing leaders in the community, I I didn't have that preparation, and I wasn't. I was my social skills were up to par, but my academic skills definitely weren't. And after high school, when I transferred to community college, was when I sat on the realization that I had DACA. You know, it was 2014. It was two years after Obama's administration put in place DACA, and. I didn't feel undocumented, though I knew I was an immigrant, right? Because I grew up translating for my parents and like being a friend with them when I was like 10 um, through the difficulties. I think I never thought of myself as that. But I, then after high school, I really started to see myself for for being undocumented and understanding like the ways that would impact my life moving forward outside of high school. I know that um, part of the activism that brought you to the forefront of the DACA movement was that. But I also know that you were an activist already in your high school and in your mm -hmm. church. And I also I feel that um, sometimes it's not just one thing that happens that, that makes us a step out, but it's a combination of a lot of experience. Mm -hmm. So if someone were to ask you, what was the moment that you felt that I have a voice and I can mm -hmm. speak and help others? Yeah. Um, when does that happen? What was that moment? I would definitely say it was sophomore year of high school because we were part of a program that took us on trips to different places, including Wall Street, museums, and things like that. And every single year, I uh, continuously got most improved in my grades for the program. And I mean, I was surrounded by my friends, so it was all our, our the same grade. And seeing seeing my seeing the difficulties that came with even being part of the program within the context that every friend existed in, I began to speak out and I talked to the leadership of the program and I would share and stress the importance of like knowing how difficult it was for some students to even show up. Um, and I would share I would share my story. Um, and then I would talk to the principal when there would be fights about like the importance of intervening for the administration to understand that. Um, you know, that there was something that had to be done more than suspension and more than expelling. This was a systemic issue. And I, though I didn't say it exactly like that, I now realize what I was trying to tell him through tears in my eyes about my friends was that this wasn't right and that it wasn't that simple, right? And that my friends weren't just some kids who wouldn't listen, but really some kids that were systemically disadvantaged. So I think when I spoke with these leaders, um, and aside from the roles I took on in high school, like morning announcements, being part of committees on triathlon, um, I realized I found my voice. I was like super encouraged because I realized adults were listening and they were um, ready to kind of like hear me out. And in whatever extent, if I had less of an intense story than my friends or less of a, a violently experienced stories than my friends, though I was going through my own hardships that I could um, 
that I could do something for them, right? And not not to save them because they had their own identity and story, but because in that moment they couldn't show up, but I could, and I could show up in different ways. Though I didn't have all of the words, I would cry a lot, Patricia, yeah. but I did it. Yeah. I did to the extent that I could. I think one of the greatest contributions that people, that young people like you and the dreamers um, have done to American society, is to say, you know. I am just like you. I am, you know, uh, you know I, I live and I am, Amer I am an American. And, right. you know, and you talk about how what we, what DACA and all immigrants need mm -hmm. in the United States now is not just papers. We need mm -hmm. citizenship. We need access right. to citizenship. So can you explain, uh, can, why do you say that? And, you know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but yeah. it's so powerful not to yeah. say you know, we are citizens in this country. We do, we contribute. We want citizenship. So, right. Yeah. yeah. I think for starters, like my confidence comes from understanding the community that I belong to. It's a global community. Migration is a human right, but it's a global crisis that builds the structures of countries like the United States. The United States is probably one of the most flexible countries in policy for migration. That's why there's so many undocumented people, but it's also so exploitative in its same policies because we exist within a society that does not have the infrastructure to hold us. My parents exist, exist as essential workers and they'll exist as that only according yeah. to the policies of America. So when I talk about citizenship, it's because if we don't talk about as radical as it might seem to many, right? If we don't talk about the 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 what it should be right then it's like we're going to continue this cycle of asking for 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 support when really what we're talking about is like we need a change in reform period like in general we need to change the entire system because if not then we shouldn't have essential workers that are immigrants right the worker the worker the workers of america do are composed of immigrant populations and they're not just from one country they're from countries all over the world mm -hmm. and they're they're they don't have their own agency because a lot of crisis that is in place in countries forces people to migrate for reasons that do not make them even wish to turn back and so mm -hmm. america is very exploitive and if i belong to this country I, I have a duty to stand up right and speak regardless of how unidentified people call me because i'm undocumented i was still i'm, I'm still working here right and i'm still yeah. contributing to society many times more not to make this an argument but sometimes more than people that are born here so i think to my point being an activist is, is an honor and my duty as a person who exists here but definitely um a reminder that we exist before systems that yeah. would, would choose us to not fight but i would like to say that uh, i hope that you know you sound like a political scientist i am a political scientist i say mm -hmm. oh you know, um, the, the way you talk about what it is to to belong to this society, mm -hmm. you know, and, and what immigrants are to this society. Because I I truly believe that it's, Amer it's immigrants who keep the idea of America as a place of opportunity and justice alive. And, mm -hmm. and, and, and the, that idea is kept alive by those who are excluded from what it means to be a, a mm -hmm. you know a citizen in this society. So mm -hmm. through history from African Americans to the Native Americans to now the, the, the migration from people of the South is those um, and this is sort of like a like a revelation in political science, citizenship is defined by those who are excluded by the society. Mm -hmm. In the United States, we see that all the time, right? Mm -hmm. Like like African American has to define their citizenship and their belonging. Mm -hmm. Uh, and we, um, you know, I am, and, uh, we as immigrants 
had to define our belonging uh, mm -hmm. in, the, in, the, in the outside of, of like society. So I applaud mm -hmm. you for for elevating that argument mm -hmm. um, that we are we already belong. You just mm -hmm. like, right yes and i think there's so much power in holding agency for our communities but individually right because individually is the way that we really reflect to others the way they can hold agency not because everyone's the same but because you know when we think of our stories and our individual like um context i think we're like well who am i to change and i'm like on the contrary the more you know who you are we're waiting for leaders at a national level but we are the leaders that exist in every single one of our contexts in our office rooms in the, in the buildings we work in and now in the houses right in every single context that we exist we are the activists we need in the worlds that we exist so you and you engage in a campaign about voting in the last election and, mm -hmm. and asking people who could vote to vote so I want to ask you, uh, you know, as an activist, as someone who is saying, you know, I am a citizen in this country because I belong, but I cannot vote. Mm -hmm. what, what was going in your mind during the last four years of the Trump administration, which were the worst years, the immigration, mm -hmm. the oppression of immigrants has been happening before Donald yeah. Trump was just worse. Mm -hmm. But um, how, you know, why did you engage in that campaign to mm -hmm. ask people to vote? Yeah, I mean, I engaged in it because just like in 2018, I knew it would build some sort of traction, either out of hate or out of love. People cannot stand undocumented people, right? In, that are American people, people that just got their papers. And so just like in 2018, people were like, who are you, right? And like, who do you think you are? And trolling and all of these like jokes. And I'm like, the only joke I see is misinformation, right? And that's exactly what happened this election, just like every single election. So, I mean, what was running through my mind is 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 the hope that education online, digital tools, the power of shifting media by really centralizing narrative in your message through personalizing it um, will educate some people. And it did a lot of people. I had a lot of Zoom calls with different folks where we gathered to just share the proper resources to to get people to what they need to, right? And not really about telling people what to do, but really giving them the tools to choose, right? Giving them the tools necessary so that they can make the choice is my concept with everything I do, right? Um, I can have my opinion and my opinions are always really strong, but my biggest, uh, one of my biggest passions is education. And education is not just at a high school and college level, it's way after them, right? Misinformation is how education doesn't happen. And it's about learning about what's right. going on, about what's happening. It's not just formal education, right? Exactly. Yeah. Because I always tell people, my parents are the smartest people I ever know because they're so resilient and survived. Mm -hmm. uh, but they just never had a formal college education, right? Uh -huh. So they don't have, they didn't have the same opportunities I did. So education is more and more than just going to school. It's about caring about to understand what's happening. Mm -hmm. I think that you have done that in so many mediums. Mm -hmm. and I, um, and you have used all the skills around you. I remember when you called me one time that you were going to the border um, <laughs> <laughs> to do some uh, some stories, and I mm -hmm. and I found that so brave of you. And that's one of the things that I admire about you: uh, the the ability to step into perhaps the fear. So mm -hmm. tell me a little bit. What I mean, I'm assuming you have fear. You probably didn't have any. Uh, but you know, how was that decision like? To, to say, I want to go see what's happening at the border and, and, and tell those stories. 
So what actually happened is, I mean, I was four months into being president of Women's March Youth. Yes. Um, and then I got called in by an organization based out of New York that works directly with migrant and refugee rights. And they knew my passion for storytelling. I had been advocating about my passion for storytelling since like 2014 and they remembered. And so they called me and they said, Sarah, you know, we have this opportunity for you to intern while we are at the border um, with media and storytelling. And I was like ugly crying. I was just like, I couldn't believe it because I felt like that was such a responsibility. You know what I mean? To be at the border and to go into somebody else's community, regardless of how undocumented I am, is a privilege and is a is an honor, right? And and then we left and we went and I was there for two months. And it changed my life because again, I've always had this passion for global perspective and the importance of leaders um, in politics and everywhere, having a global mindset is so critical to me. Um, so being able to not leave the country, but be at the border um, taught me a lot without even having to step out of place. I was just with the team, you know, they are very respectful of boundaries and like really just serving as resources for the tons of volunteers that come to the border, right? And I got to really just help curate posts while I was there, help redirect traction, right? Um, yeah. And I'm still working to do that because the work that I did those two months and then I went back a year, um, now is still work that I have to unravel, right? And when, so when people come and say, um, what can I do for migrant rights? It's it's using that power of that question that people ask you to redirect that traction and to say, you can do this, 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 and that. Choose, you have options. Migration is not something that can be solved through one organization, but rather through a collective of spaces. But being at the border really gave me so much um so much gentleness that I needed because it was it wasn't it was so loud being there, like yeah. just existing in that environment, like as a, as a young person, as a person really passionate about social media, none of that mattered. Like I was just crumbled and I shouldn't have took getting there, but I realized that I had to find a way to share what border communities are doing already or yeah. giving them the tools to share it. And that's what I'm doing now because they exist in their own identity, right? They're trans-border communities, that, which means they cross yeah. San Diego, right? And that's the biggest border in the country. Yeah. So, well, One thing that you stated once that stuck with me is that when you started your activism, you started from a place of anger about what you know, but now it has transformed into a place of um, like uh, inspiration and love, perhaps. Mm -hmm. So talk mm -hmm. about that, because I think yeah. that, you know, I, I can relate to that because mm -hmm. when you're young, you sort of, you know, have that anger about mm -hmm. perhaps the world or things are not fair. Mm -hmm. But when does, did it transform to like inspiration and love, yeah. you know? Yeah. I mean, I think for, for the most part, I am always angry, but I think... <laughs> that anger now has shifted to a core of love and like, yeah, I guess love would be probably the best word because, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. No, no, I, I said, um, I just remember Nina Turner. I don't know if you mm -hmm. I know her, she's from, uh, you know, a elected official now running for Congress. She says, I am an angry woman, but it's okay to be angry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you know, pulling back that, I think that it's okay to be angry, but it's what you do with that anger that matters. For sure. And I think yeah. that's why I would say from a place of love more than ever before, because I realized that I'm allowed to be angry, right? So that's the core of my work. It yeah. really is. I can't say it's not, but now I'm just like 
COVID-19, the past year, um, the, the, the time that I got to, you know, be in community with, with border communities, uh, but really like everything, right? But especially COVID-19, I think reminded me that we're the fight. If you were in social justice, you're going to fight forever. Yeah. So I'm going to be angry forever. And I know that because I know myself. Um, so I, I feel like to, to share with others my passion for social justice, that doesn't stem from educating myself on that only, but really from experiencing it, right? From seeing my parents and my community. And um, I know that you're using that to influence others. You are right. a social influencer. And, right. and talk a little bit about how that came about. Um, and how do you sort of accept that role and responsibility, how you embrace it? Because I've I seen you embrace it and use it so positively. Um, so talk a little bit about what does it mean to be a social influencer? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's so hard to define that. But for <laughs> me, what it means is I have the opportunity to use what I built to now um, to now make my passion for storytelling even more possible, right? To fundraise, to work in community with others, to um, to really build community. I think that's what it comes to with being a social influencer. Like people are, even Reebok, like I'm working with them now. Exciting, yeah. Yeah, that's so exciting. And they're just like, we love your community. We see how they talk to you. We see how you interact with them. And I'm like, yeah, right? Like, what do you mean by you are an advisory board member of the right. Human Rights Award? Tell yeah. me. So basically in, tw in 2006, they had the award and it took a long pause and now it's back. And so it's an award that uh, will look to 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 basically support three different change makers that are chosen from around the world. And we are part of the selection committee. We are part, again, of building community Um you know, through this message of the power of companies shifting, right? And really stepping there, stepping forward, right? And yeah. and taking the lead the way that they are. Well, I think it's amazing um, that you are in a position to help other, you know, leaders and elevate their stories so that they can inspire others, just like you inspiring other people. So where can people follow you on your population mic? Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they could follow me on um, Population Mike uh, at the Boss Up House and at Miss Sarah Moore, which is the main platform that I'm on. The Boss Up House is a mentorship project that I started in 2017. Um, and then Population Mike is a media project that I'm developing to support storytellers all across the world that work to, you know, bring media um, and attention to the causes that they represent in their communities locally. I think your story about how you have embraced, you know, who you are, your mm -hmm. essence, and how you are, to me, you're a social influencer because you're influencing other young people to to step out uh, and, and leave uh, in whatever way they want to leave. That, that's that's right. the premise, I think, of, of, of how I see you. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's what I wanted to have you in this show. But you're also, um, I saw sort of like a fashion model. Mm -hmm. I you know, so tell me a little bit how that happened, because I know your sister is also in the fashion yeah. industry, right? <laughs> you know, my sister's in the living room right now. She just moved. Yeah, my sister's a model, and I'm really passionate about not doing things in a box, right? Like really not being definable, not just really, I think when people think about it, they're, they're like, oh, devil's advocate, you wanna go against the grain, but it's really about 
being limitless, right? I did a campaign with Banana Republic. We wore, uh, you know, intimate pieces, lingerie, but at the end of the day, that, that shouldn't define my leadership roles. My ability to be intelligent is not defined by people's opinions over my body. Um, and I think this last campaign in, in particular, um, because I was hired as a plus size model was so special to me because I think being a Latina involves so much pressure on our bodies. And I've definitely been my fair share of a size four and six, but this time around where I'm a size 14, I think there's been a lot of desire for me to share that I am confident, right? And that even if I do, or as I do, right, get more in shape or get more whatever the heck, the point is I still love my body. And, and I hope that through doing things like that, others are encouraged to feel, you know, more in love with the, the power of that, you know? And I think that's the beauty of the work that you do, that you embrace your whole self and you encourage mm -hmm. others to say, we are beautiful, our stories are beautiful, mm -hmm. and we ought to embrace what that is. What is it that you would tell a young person who they don't know what to do? Like, what, yeah. what advice do you give them? I would say, number one, don't take no for an answer. Uh, like, I got so many no's and super pushed to the side when I was younger, but I realized that I, I was onto something. So find the thing that makes you, that you know you're talented, uh, with or that you have a passion for really um and use that like if you want to use it for social social justice it's so possible you don't have to get you don't have to get institutional <laughs> approval to be good at something if you're good at drawing if you're good at speaking if you're good at writing you're good at it and work your way to to building your own uh identity with that by just sharing your work this all sounds easier said than done because it was definitely hard when i started um, but I think little by little, when I did share, I realized there were a lot of other people who were scared too. And that built a community around people who saw you being vulnerable and were like, oh, wow, you're brave for that. I want to do that too. Well, I think you are brave, you're fierce, you're inspiring young people, but you're also inspiring adults. Uh, because I always said that it is our job to follow your lead and to mm -hmm. follow where the next generation wants to go and to embrace that energy and power so i applaud you for inspiring mm -hmm. me <laughs> and mm -hmm. for inspiring other people to just uh, pick an issue pick something and make a difference right. uh, how can people follow you um and uh, stay connected to your work yeah. uh, you know yeah. So um, people can follow me at Miss Sarah Mora and there is where I house the rest of my projects. Um, they can also look me up at uh, www.missaramora.com. And I'm pretty fluent about my DMs. So people just send me a message either there or Facebook. My names are pretty similar all across the board and I try to keep the same pictures on social media. So yeah, I'm excited to talk to people. Oh. Well, excellent. I know we, we could have talked about the elections, the new president, immigration reform. Perhaps I'm just going to have to bring you back to talk about that. Uh, about this, I guess. Um, so we, you know, we are almost at, at the end, but I want to say that one thing that stuck with me, I want to elevate is how you, you know, how you elevated the need to be a global, global mm -hmm. citizen, but act locally. And I think that we need more of that because the world is so mm -hmm. huge and we have such an impact in the world mm -hmm. that being connected to the global community is as important as being connected to the grassroots. Are you still doing uh, work with the UN? Because at some point you did work with the UN. Right? Yeah, so I'm I'm working right now on a partnership that I can't too sh share too much about, but I am working now to bridge back to them because, I mean, even just at a global level, refugee status, asylum seeker status, 
is addressed. But again, there's so much agency and identity of its own to bring migration policy in the U.S. to spaces like the U.N. Um, but I am working with them and I'm really excited to work with Global I can't spaces. wait to talk up with you about that when you yeah. can announce it. And what are your hopes for uh, this new administration inviting immigration reform? Honestly, that that things happen according to the words that were promised because this administration has a lot of pressure because it promised according to the exit, the grand exit that a lot of people were waiting for. So uh, we were hearing conversation about citizenship for all. I really, I don't know if I wanna say I'm hoping for it as more than I'm saying like, like I don't think people are gonna stop. You know what I mean? I don't think people are going to wait. I think people are angry now, even if it's just March because again, Right, people are the people. There's power in the people, and it has to be like that. So <laughs> I agree. I think the power is in the people, and it's us who need to make sure that mm -hmm. our elected officials and our government does what it's supposed to do. Mm -hmm. So keep pushing us. Keep organizing. Keep mm -hmm. let's keep building local power so that we can uh, make sure that uh, Biden and Congress does what they mm -hmm. said they were going to do for immigration yeah. for young people like you. So thank you, Sarah, for, for joining me for this conversation and for inspiring all of us to do Thank better. you so much for having me. We'll be in touch. All right. Bye-bye. Right. This was a conversation that I needed to have because there's so much to get done and to prioritize one thing over the other seems sometimes very unfair. But it's young people, people like Sarah Mora, who are showing us the way to make sure that we keep true to our commitment to change the reality of our communities and to push for justice, racial justice, economic justice for our, for our future generation. I am inspired by Sarah Mora's work, by her fierceness, by her love for her community. And I ask you to join her in inspiring others and just taking the helm of activism for causes that you care about. I am Dr. Patricia Campos Medina, and this is Activista Rise Up. I'm so glad to be back having these conversations. You can follow me on all my social media handles and now officially on Spotify and other um, podcast channels. Thank you.